You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. We're in our series this morning, and we're getting close to the end, but we're in our series on the life of Joseph. We started this series back in January, and uh, we uh, went through the series through March, and then in March, I took a little break with our uh, drive-in services and our tent services, but I'd like to finish this. I, I just, I think there's so much we can learn from the life of Joseph in the Bible. If you've never studied his life, if you've never read through Genesis 37 to Genesis 50, you owe it to yourself to read it and to let God speak to your heart. I'd like to challenge you on several thoughts this morning as we go through Genesis 48, but the title of the message, if if there's going to be a title, and if you're taking notes, this would be something to jot down. I want to talk to us about the importance of getting our children close to the Father. Now, in this story, Joseph wants to get his sons to his earthly father, Jacob, because he wants his sons to be blessed by his father, Jacob. Now, the application and the parallel here is I'm not just talking about getting your children close to their earthly father, although I think it's important to have a good relationship with your father. I'm not just talking about getting your children close to their grandparents, although that's a wonderful thing. But I'm talking about the importance of us getting our children, getting our grandchildren, getting our Sunday school children, getting the next generation close to the Heavenly Father. You see, we're never going to experience God's purpose for our lives until we first get close to our Heavenly Father. Until we have a relationship with the Lord, we're going to struggle in life. We're going to be frustrated. We're going to feel like we're going in circles. We're going to feel like we're spinning our wheels. Uh, You see, you get saved. You get baptized. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. God has a life that he wants us to live. You say, well, are we trying to work our way to heaven? Absolutely not. That's already been paid for. Jesus paid it all on the cross. We're not working our way to heaven. But we're trying to live our lives to please the one who gave his life for us. And our goal should be to be close to the Father. In this passage, notice in verse number one, it says that came to pass after these things that one told Joseph, behold, thy father is sick. They came to Joseph and they said, Joseph, your dad, Jacob, he's dying. Another name for Jacob is Israel, but he's dying and he's getting close. And Joseph says, I got to get my boys. I got to get Manasseh and Ephraim to my dad because I want them to be blessed by my father. Notice in verse number two, it says, and one told Jacob, behold, thy son Joseph cometh unto thee and Israel, another name for Jacob, he strengthened himself and he sat upon the bed. Maybe you've seen that. You have a family member or or a close loved one that's dying and you, you, you know that their time is close, but you go in to see them. And they muster all the strength they can. Uh, It's like they they just try to make the best presentation they can because they want to have a good conversation with you. They don't want you to be sad. They don't want you to be discouraged. And that's what Jacob does. He just puts on his game face. And he knows he's dying, but he wants to be strong for his son and for his grandsons. 
And notice what it says in verse 3. First words out of Jacob's mouth when Joseph and his boys come in. I love this. He said, I want to tell you about the last time that I met with God and God met with me. Isn't that wonderful? Can I tell you when family comes around and maybe when you're nearing the end or you got some grandkids around, wouldn't it be great if you said, let me tell you about what God has done in my life. We don't need to share all the problems. We don't need to share all the negative. We don't need to complain. We don't need to criticize. We don't need to gossip. We just need to let people know what God has done for us. And Jacob says, I want to tell you about the last time. It's actually found in Genesis 35. But it's where God appeared to Jacob. Verse 3, And Jacob said unto Joseph, God Almighty appeared unto me at Luz. That's another name for Bethel and in the land of Canaan, and he blessed me. Verse 4, God said unto Jacob, Behold, I will make thee fruitful, and multiply thee, and I will make of thee a multitude of people, and will give this land to thy seed after thee for an everlasting possession. If you're taking notes, let me give you a few thoughts. Number one, I want to say that Jacob could bless others because he had been blessed by God. Now think about that. You don't have anything to give anybody else, and I don't have anything to give anybody else if God hasn't blessed us. If we've not spent time with God, how are we going to help anybody else? How am I, as a pastor, how am I going to get up on Sunday morning and say, let me tell you, let me tell you what God said if I haven't gotten something from God? Now, I don't know how you feel coming to church on Sunday morning, but I'll tell you what, when I come to church Sunday morning, I am about ready to explode because I've been praying and I've been studying and I've been getting ready. And my, my battle on Sunday mornings is not what to preach. My battle is how do I get it all out in 35 minutes? I mean, that's my battle because God's been giving me and God's been feeding me. And because of that, I want to have something that I can share with you. Well, that's not just the pastor's responsibility. Every husband ought to have something that they can bless their wife with spiritually. Every wife ought to have something for a husband. Every parent ought to have something for a child. Every young person ought to have something to share with somebody else about the blessings that God has given them. And Jacob could bless others because God had blessed him. Verse 4, Jacob talks about how good God had been. I want to remind us this morning that anything good in our lives is all because of God. Anything good in your life. And I'm not just talking about physical, but let's talk about your house. If you have a house today, it's God's blessing. If you have a roof over your head, if you have a pillow whereon you can lay your head, if you had food to eat this morning, if you had water to drink, if you had electricity, if you had air conditioning, if you had any of that, that's the blessing of God. But that's not the only blessings. And by the way, those are really the least of the blessings. You know what the real blessings are? God gives us joy. God gives peace. God gives contentment and God gives comfort. And God shows up in our time of need and he ministers to us. And God gives physical blessings. But I'll tell you, God gives spiritual blessings. God gives emotional blessings. And because God blesses us, we're not a reservoir. Uh, we're not just soaking it up and keeping it. We're a conduit. We're supposed to receive the blessing of God so that we can give 
to somebody else. And Jacob had something to give to others because he had met with God, because God had blessed him. You notice in this passage, we see in verse number uh, five, it says, now thy two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which were born unto thee in the land of Egypt before I came unto thee into Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Now that's interesting because Manasseh and Ephraim, those were the sons of Joseph. Now, Jacob had 12 sons, okay? If you look at a map or you look at uh, uh, the layout of the land of Israel after they uh, went into Canaan and they, they divided up the land, it's interesting because there's no land ascribed to Joseph. There's no land ascribed to Levi, and those were two of Jacob's sons. You say, well, how come? Well, for one, there's no land given to Levi because God said to Levi, God said, I will be your inheritance. Ooh, that's better than any land. That's better than any property. That's better than any possession for God to say to Levi, I said, you don't need land and you don't need possession. I myself personally will be your inheritance. And of course, Levi and his descendants were the ones that served God in the temple. Ooh, hallelujah for that. Uh, I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. Can I tell you, I hope that you realize more important than things is having Jesus. And I hope you realize more important than stuff is knowing God. But Jacob gave his sons an inheritance. Levi got the possession of God and that possession that God promised him. But Joseph did not get a possession because his two sons got it instead. Manasseh and Ephraim, those were sons of Joseph. But Jacob, in this passage, he tells Joseph, he says, I'm going to make your boys like my own. I'm going to give them a possession like I'm giving to my own sons. And so Manasseh and Ephraim, get this, oh, this is so good. Manasseh and Ephraim got a blessing because their daddy got them close to the father. Because their dad said, I'm not worried about what I'm going to get, but I'm very concerned about my children. I'm very concerned about what I can pass down to the next generation. Number one, Jacob could bless others because God had blessed him. Number two, I want you to notice the truth in verse seven. As for me, this is Jacob speaking. When I came from Padan, Rachel died by me in the land of Canaan in the way. Now, who was Rachel? That was Jacob's wife. That was the mother of Joseph and the mother of Benjamin. And Jacob is recounting a time of great sorrow. He said, I want to tell you, he said, Rachel died while I was journeying. And he said in verse number seven, he said, and I buried her there in the way of Ephrath. The same is where? Bethlehem. Had you ever seen that before? Rachel died, Jacob is weeping, Jacob is grieving, his wife is gone. He buries her in a place called, oh my, he buries her in a place called Bethlehem. Guess what? Sorrow wasn't the only thing that ever happened at Bethlehem. A burial was not the only thing that ever happened at Bethlehem. Because can I tell you what? It was Bethlehem 
that God chose to send his only begotten son to be born in a manger for the salvation of the world. And sometimes people say, Bethlehem, that was a place of sorrow. It was a place of death. It was a place of tragedy. But God can take a place of sorrow and he can make it a place of great joy. God can take a place of death and he can make it life. And God can take a place of tears and turn it into rejoicing. And I want to say, number two, as we look at Genesis 48, there may be some deaths in your life. There may be some sorrows in your life. But God is able to take that death and bring it back to life. God is able to take that sorrow and turn it into joy. I think about the empty tomb. Aren't you glad it's empty? Aren't you glad that although they placed the body of Jesus in that tomb and they came to, to, to weep and they came to grieve and they came to sorrow, but when they came, their sorrow was turned into great joy because they saw the stone had been rolled away. And they went inside that tomb and they did not find the body of Jesus. They found the grave clothes. They were neatly folded. They were set off to the side. But there was no body because up from the grave he arose. Aren't you glad that God can take a place of death and God can bring new life? God can take a place of sorrow and God can bring great joy. I don't know what your Bethlehem is. I don't know what deaths you've experienced, whether it be a, a loss of a loved one, maybe it's a loss of a job, maybe it's a, a, a loss of a relationship, maybe it's a, a, a situation in your life that seemed like a death, it seemed like a tragedy. But I want to tell you, God's not done. And that place may seem like a place of sorrow, but God can turn that sorrow into great joy and great rejoicing. Number two, there may be some deaths in your life, but God wants to give you some births as Bethlehem became the birthplace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I don't know if that blessed you or not, but that sure blessed me. Verse number 9, we see that Jacob blesses his sons. Verse 9, and Joseph, uh, notice verse 8, we got to see this. When Brother Dan was reading this, I thought, I've got to mention this. And Israel, that's the grandfather to the boys, that's the father of Joseph. And Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? Have you ever had your grandchildren going wild and you said, who are these children? Better yet, have you as a parent ever looked around and said about your own children and say, who are these children? Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how children at times can be the most perfect, angelic beings and at other times they can be little devils. Isn't that, is anybody else, is your, were your children ever like that or is, are, are ours the only one? You know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all have perfect children, so you never had that apparently. But for those of us that know what we're talking about, I thought that was good. Israel said, who are these? And Joseph said, they're my sons. Notice verse nine. Whom God hath given me in this place. Now think about that statement. Joseph said, these are my boys that God gave me right here in Egypt. For Joseph, he probably never thought there'd be good things coming out of Egypt. He was sold as a slave. He thought he'd never survive. He thought he'd never live. He thought he'd never see his family. And now he's got his boys. And now he's there with his dad. He's reunited. And he says, hey, dad, these are the boys that God gave me right here in this very spot. Wow, only God could do that. And Jacob says, bring them, I pray thee unto me, and I will bless them. Jacob says, I want them to be close to me. I want to bless them. I want them to be near me. 
Verse 10, now the eyes of Israel were dim for age so that he could not see. That's why he had to say, who are these? Because he couldn't see them with his eyesight. But he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and embraced them. I'd like to say this. This is just an extra thought that I want to give you. But Jacob's physical eyesight was gone. Jacob couldn't see very well physically, but he still had some spiritual eyesight. And I want to say to our senior saints, we had a lot of them here in the early service. We've got some in this service. But I want to say to our senior saints, you may not have the best vision, and you may not have the strongest body, and you may not have the best health, but can I tell you, we need your spiritual vision. We need you to go to the throne of grace for our, our families and for our church, and we need you to go to the throne of God for our country, and we need you to pray. We need elderly folks who still know God and who still trust God and who are still faithful to serve God and can set an example for those coming behind. Jacob's physical eyesight was weak, but his spiritual eyesight was strong. Number three, I want you to see that Joseph wanted his children to get close to the father. Notice it says in verse number 11, uh, verse number 10, the eyes of Joseph were dim and for age he could not see and he brought them near unto him and he kissed them and he embraced them. Verse 12, and Joseph brought them out from between his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Can I tell you, Joseph wanted his sons to be close to the father and that ought to be our desire. That ought to be our desire to want our children and and grandchildren, and want our Sunday school students, and to want our teens, and to want the next generation. It ought to be our desire to want to see them get close to the Father. But here's the key. You know how Joseph could get his sons close to the Father? Because he himself was close to the Father. Joseph didn't send the boys in and say, yeah, go see your grandpa. He didn't say, yeah, you let me know when you're done. He brought them in. He took him in. And when Joseph was close to the father, he showed him respect and he showed him reverence and he had a relationship with the father himself. Now I want to say we need some parents and some grandparents that will not just send the kids to church. We need some parents and grandparents that will bring them to church. We need some parents and grandparents and we need some adults that will not just tell the children how to serve God. We need you to show the children how to serve God. We need to know how to be close to God because you have experienced it and you are experiencing a relationship with the Father. Joseph was able to get his children close because he himself was close to the Father. We ought to have a desire for our children. See, how do I get my children close to God? Well, I'll tell you a couple of ways. One is at home. You read the Bible. And at home, you have prayer. And at home, you talk about the things of God. At home, you sing about the Lord and you sing about His goodness. I was telling the early service that uh, our girls, they, they, they all pretty much love to sing kind of at different times. And, and sometimes it's, it's at not the right time. You know, sometimes when uh, they're going to bed, you know, that's the time they'll start singing, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, it's time to go to bed. But I forget what day it was. I think it was, I think it was, last Tuesday, I think it was, and I, I heard, just out of the blue, we weren't talking about the Bible, we weren't having devotions, I was doing something, and I heard Lacey, just at the top of her lungs, just belting out a song about the Lord. You know what that did for me? Sure blessed my heart, because I want to instill 
in my children and my wife and I, our desire is to not just tell our children that they need to love God, but it's to show them and it's to set an example and it's to get our children close to the Father. You can't get saved for your children. And by the way, you shouldn't try because your children need to make that decision for themselves. When they reach the age that they understand, that ought to be something that God is dealing with their heart and God is working with them. And you can't force your child to get baptized. All these parents, it's been, we've been talking about it for some time, but they waited to the point to where the children understood what salvation was, they got saved, and they understood what baptism was. But you can't force your child to live for God. You can't twist their arm and say, you're going to do this and you're going to do that. Now, I think you set some rules and some guidelines and all that. But I'll tell you one thing. We ought to put our children in a position that they can be close to God. So how do we do that? We bring them to church. We get them involved in Sunday school. We get them involved in Sunday night uh, uh, um, children's ministries and children's choir. We get them involved in Wednesday night, summer kids club and master clubs. And we bring them to kids crusade. And we, we do those things to get them in a position where they can know God. We ought to desire God's richest blessings for our children. Our lives should be lived to help our children get close to the Father, to experience the blessing of God. I want you to notice quickly, it's found in verse number 14. As Joseph is bringing his boys to his father, it says in verse number 14, it says, Israel, that is Jacob, he stretched out his right hand and he laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, guiding his hands wittingly. That means knowing. He, Jacob knew what he was doing. This was not a mistake. This was not a, a mess up. He was purposely putting his hands on the boys like he wanted to do and like he knew he was supposed to do. Verse number 14, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. And notice verse number 17. When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand upon the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head unto Manasseh's head. And Joseph said unto his father, Not so, my father, for this is the firstborn. Put thy right hand upon his head. And his father refused. And he said, I know it, my son, I know it. He also shall become a people. He also shall be great, but truly his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become a multitude of nations. And he blessed them that day. Now, Abraham was given a promise by God that there would be a great nation. Isaac received that same promise. Jacob received that same promise and his name was changed to Israel and the nation was named after Jacob, Israel. All throughout scripture, we see Israel as their name. But you get further into the Old Testament and you start to see there are references where the entire nation of Israel is not referred to as Israel but they're referred to as Ephraim. Now, Ephraim was not even one of Jacob's sons. It was his grandson. Ephraim was not even the firstborn of Joseph. That was Manasseh. But you know what's so amazing? Is God can use, and this is hard for me to say because I am the oldest child. My wife is the oldest child. And we all know how the youngest child is. We all know how the youngest child is. Spoiled, rotten. They get away with that. We all know, right? Some of you aren't helping me on that. You don't know that. 
But you know what's amazing? Is God can use the oldest, but God can also use the youngest. God can use the strongest, but God can also use the weakest. And God took Ephraim. You wouldn't have guessed that Ephraim would be used mightily by God, but Ephraim was used by God. And Jacob knew exactly what he was doing by putting his right hand on Ephraim and his left hand on Manasseh. Joseph tried to stop him. He said, Dad, nope, nope, that's not what you do. That's not what you do. I said it in the early service, but did you know it's not a good idea to try to correct your parents no matter how old you are? Because it doesn't matter how old you are, your parents still see you as the seven or eight-year-old child. You know what I'm talking about? And my mom is in the service. I'll be very careful what I say about this, but it's better... It's better not to correct your parent. It's better for it to be their idea, right? That works better if it's their idea. But Joseph says, Dad, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. And Jacob said, Son, I know. I know what I'm doing. You know, sometimes we try to do that with the Lord, don't we? Lord, that's, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to work out this way. Wait, 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 wait. And you know what God always has to say to us? I know. I know what I'm doing. I've got everything under control. You don't have to worry about it. There's no mistakes with God. There's no accidents with God. There's no mess ups with God. As for God, his way is perfect and you can count on it every time. God knows. I've worked on this a few weeks ago getting ready for chapter 48 and I wrote down when I was preparing I wrote down uh Cassidy your grandfather Timmy your father-in-law pastor Dick Hedger's name he is a pastor been pastoring now for 47 44 years same church in Sacramento California and we would go we'd go every year we'd go to that church and get to spend time with them and Pastor Hedger was just one of those guys, just, just a, a faithful, solid, very wise. But we'd have conversations, and in the conversation, I remember so many times he would say, you know, he'd say, you know, Brother Jeremy, the Lord knows, doesn't he? The Lord knows. I, I remember saying that so many times, the Lord knows. And maybe this morning, maybe you're sitting in the auditorium, or maybe you're listening at home on the internet, or maybe you're sitting in your car on the radio, and maybe you just need to be reminded that the Lord knows everything that's going on in your life and he's got it under control. And you can try to change things up and you can try to arrange things and you can try to finagle all you want to, but I want to tell you good news. God knows what he is doing. Number four, the father knows what he is doing in your life. Don't argue with God. Uh, don't, try to, don't try to fix things for God. Let God have his way. He knows what he's doing. Number Five, I want you to see it in verse number 22. We get to the end and Jacob is about ready to die. And he says to Joseph in verse 21, he said, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. Jacob said, I'm going off the scene. I'm not going to be here forever, but God's going to be with you. And God's never going to leave you. God's never going to abandon you. God will be with you forever. I'm glad for that promise. Then we get to verse number 22. And Jacob says to Joseph, he says, Moreover, he said, one more thing. I have given to thee one portion above thy brethren. 
which I took out of the hand of the Amorite with my sword and with my bow. That's interesting. This property is referred to in Genesis 33. This was property that Jacob specifically bought. He, he paid for, he, he purchased it. It was property that he bought. But he's getting ready to give that property to his son Joseph, and he says, that property, I had to fight for it. Which that's kind of interesting, because you think, wait a minute, he bought it. If you buy something, you shouldn't have to fight for it. I mean, you've, you've already you've paid for it. But you know what's amazing? There are things in life that we've paid for, we've purchased, but old Satan comes around and he likes to try to take things from us that belong to us. You say, but I've already paid for it. I've already paid the price. I've already worked for it. I've already earned this or whatever. Satan doesn't care. He's a liar. He's a thief. He's out to destroy you. He's out to ruin you. He doesn't play fair. And there are some things in life that even though you pay for it, and even though it's yours, sometimes you got to fight to get it back. So what are you talking about? Well, in 2020, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to live for God, if you're going to serve God, if you're going to stand for what's right, if you're going to believe the Bible, if you're going to be a witness, if you're going to be a, a godly father or godly mother or godly husband, godly wife or a, a godly teenager, godly young person, you're going to have to pay a price, but you're also going to have to fight for some things. You say, well, I don't know if I want to fight. Well, it's your choice. But if you don't fight, there's not going to be a victory. If you don't fight, you're not going to win. If you don't fight, you're going to let Satan have his way because as Christians, we are in a battle. We are commanded to fight the good fight of faith. You see, number five, it looks like this property was purchased, but then it had to be fought in order to get it back. Living for God is not easy. Living for God is not free. Living for God sometimes requires battles to be fought and battles to be won. And Jacob said, I had to take my sword, I had to take my bow, and I had to go back and get what belonged to me. It's amazing. That property may not seem like a big deal. But in John chapter 4, the Bible says in John 4 that there was a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, which is this parcel right here in Shechem. It was in Samaria in John chapter 4. And that parcel of ground, the Bible says, and there was a well there. Jacob had purchased the land. Jacob had pitched his tent on that land. Jacob had built an altar on that land. And somewhere along the line, somebody built a well there. And guess what? In John chapter 4, that well was still there. And there was still water in that well. And somebody visited that well. His name was Jesus. And he met a woman there, a woman of Samaria. And that woman got saved at that well. Can I tell you, it may not seem like a big deal. The, the things you fight for and the things you pay for and the things you try to do for God, it may seem very, very small and insignificant, but I got news for you. God can take the small and the insignificant and God can do great things with it. And not just now. 
But in the generations to come and years to come and, and decades to come, God can do a work. You see, somebody got saved at that well because somebody along the line was willing to pay the price. And somebody was willing to fight to defend that. And somebody was willing to build a well in that spot. I'll close with this, number six, as we've given you a few, few thoughts. Number six, it may not seem important. It may not seem like a big deal. But God can take the little things that you've done and the things you've passed down to your children. And God can use them for great and mighty things. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.